Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and my guest today is someone who I met by way of recording here at 121 Studios. Please welcome Mr. Sean Nock. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I always like to ask, is there anything cool that you've been watching on Netflix recently? Uh, I've I've, uh, been watching a lot of my wife's shows. She's the boss. And so there's a new season of, um, is it the Mindy Project? Uh, Yes. Yeah, the the Mindy Project. The first half of season four. So we can't watch anything until we're done with all of those episodes. (laughs) And we're uh, we're kind of like one episode a night people now with our our daughter. She's, uh, she takes a lot. So it's, yeah, Mindy show for the last couple of weeks. Um, But I want to say there was something exciting that I saw last week. But it's all just been displaced by Mindy's show in my brain at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, how is it? Like, how is the, the fourth season? Because it's after they switch networks and everything. Does it feel like a continuation of the same show? Or It does. It was very strange. So they, um, they did a pregnancy leave for a male character, it seems like. Uh, there's this plot arc where uh, Danny Castellano uh, is doing something. He's taking care of his father across the country, and he's just absent from several episodes. And they normally do that when one of the characters is, you know female actress actresses are, are pregnant uh, it seems unlikely that he was pregnant but maybe um hollywood has a progressive paternity leave policy these days well the movie that we are here to talk about this week is a short film from 2015 directed by david sandberg we're going to be talking about kung fury kung fury before we get into that i should let you know that today's episode of the netflix podcast is brought to you in part by on london's 121 studios London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. Now, Netflix has a few ways of describing Kung Fury. First of all, when you hover over the title, it says, In 1985, he's one tough cop. But when he goes up against 1940s bad guys, he'll have to give it everything he's got. You feel like that that does a decent job of summing it up? Uh, You know, summaries can only do so much. uh, But it doesn't really, I think, give the right give the right feel obviously accurate completely accurate 1980s cop fights you know uh 1940s i I question the phrase 1940s bad guys like Mm -hmm. you can just say nazis or you can say hitler they don't hide it but 1940s bad guys like i'm picturing him taking on like al capone or something like that like a kind of a i'm sure i have my decades wrong there but when they say bad guys you know it's not like Mm -hmm. there's bad guys and then there's hitler yeah it's true uh, but I think that's like some of what makes this really charming. Um, I think the 1980s were not a time of, um, well, let's just say we didn't think too hard about things. <laughs> and so uh, it was really nice. The, the the bad guys were the bad guys, and there didn't really sort of have to be a reason. Um, you know, Redfield Swastika or Redfield Hammer and Sickle, bad guys. We just We just knew and nobody had to think about it very much. So... Maybe they were just shouting out to that in the in the summary, like, oh, 1940s bad guys, twirly mustache, clearly evil. <laughs> Let's not think about it too much or analyze any of the politics involved. Fair enough. When you click on the movie, the description changes to a Miami detective imbued with ninja superpowers travels back in time to kill Adolf Hitler and the Nazis in an arcade game style war. That's an accurate description. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. yeah, plus one. That's pretty bang on. <laughs> The genres it belongs to are action and adventure, Mm -hmm. international action and adventure, action comedies, and martial arts movies. Mm -hmm. And the moods Netflix ascribes to Kung Fury are exciting and goofy. That's true. I think there should be a category for nostalgia for, you know, folks who realize just now 
that they're getting old. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yep. So you more than anybody, I want to ask why Kung Fury? Because basically the only interaction that we had before doing this was, I think you said Kung Fury basically changed my life. So, yes, that's, uh... so you want to talk a little bit about that? Why, like what makes this movie so affirming for you? So it, it just reminds me, I guess, so much of my childhood and uh, I think what I wanted and or expected life to be. And I guess what I was getting at before is... Uh, the 1980s were not intellectually rigorous and part of that's obviously because i was i was pretty young in the 80s i think part of that also was was a lot of cocaine um but yeah it was really a, a movie about what i thought life was going to be like and sort of what life was was promised to i think uh, north americans of a certain age right um money was good without any qualifications um if you worked hard enough you could be well, you could drive a Ferrari or a Lambo at very least, and um, you could probably date a supermodel in a penthouse that was shaped like a Kung Fu dojo. Of course. And specifically the, the, the computer element. My, my favorite character is Hacker Man. Um, it was just magnificent. And I really, he was the older kids that I, I looked up to. I was kind of born in a weird time. I was not quite old enough to be a, a proper 1980s super hacker uh, that we all thought was cool and um, not, uh, not late enough to be... Uh, of the Facebook sort of generation, I guess. Um, but yeah, the older kids, the, the rock and mullet, like the silly glasses hasn't showered in a week. Uh, yeah. These were the guys I would like follow around and bug for Gnostic insight into the mysteries of the computer. And there really was a time for me when I thought computers could do anything, you know, uh, it, in, in Kung Fury, he, he hacks the bullets out of Kung Fury. Kung Fury yes. gets shot and he hacks the bullet wounds closed he hacks time he hacks too much time and computers were very magical uh when i was growing up and that, that's why i ended up in uh, computer programming and it really just captured a bit of that i mean it's nostalgia clearly but it's also optimism things were were clearer at least to me in the 80s about right and wrong and how this magic invention called the computer could could help you do anything yeah it's interesting that generationally it seems like people such as yourself when you kind of got a little older uh, computers got sort of demystified because you started to understand that okay you can't just do anything it's not like you know it's not like an episode of ncis where you have the nerdy <laughs> character who's typing on two laptops at the same time because then you're hacking twice as fast <laughs> enhance exactly enhance just say the word enhance and but i think that there is still that kind of magical hacker idea but it's for people who kind of missed the boat on computers because like in my in my day job i work in i work in technology i work in cell phones mm -hmm. and I, every day i'm meeting somebody who just like if i'm typing quickly they're looking at me like i'm a wizard and when <laughs> i when i fix their problem you know like i toggle a switch on the side and they they think i'm the second coming like it's <laughs> you still have that but it's it's looking backwards instead of instead of looking forward so it, but it was it was incredibly nostalgic and really heartwarming to see hacker man kind of just be this mm -hmm. this guru of of everything that computers could possibly be but the tone is so perfect too because it's mm -hmm. it's making fun of its own optimism but also kind of swimming in it at the same time i also love that he's just really really greasy you, you know <laughs> he has not left the arcade uh which i assume is his lair we don't we don't know where his lair exists but i know it's in the back of the arcade but that's that's it just hopeful optimistic he's um very helpful very loyal but also just really needs a shower yeah just it's magical i almost feel like growing a mullet. 
a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to Mike Grasso about Beyond the Black Rainbow, he he was very curious to see how our conversation was going to go because Beyond the Black Rainbow was very much an 80s movie that was made in the 2000s, not unlike Kung Fury. But he was uh, kind of a bit more critical of Kung Fury for like exploiting the oh, just yeah. kind of like you know taking all these shortcuts and playing with these images but not really saying anything about them but with beyond the black rainbow the the director of that movie has come out and said that basically he made the movie that he always assumed the horror movies on the shelf that he wasn't allowed to pick up what those would be if he actually got to watch them and that's what kung fury feels like to me except it's just a different shelf of blockbuster or roger's video Mm -hmm. where a kid who wasn't allowed to rent lethal weapon let's say or rambo what they just concocted in their brain this movie could possibly be having an idea of the images from like sneaking around the corner and watching their parents watch it a little bit but having to fill Mm -hmm. in the rest with their imaginations and just being unbridled by reality or decency or just anything (laughs) it's just this this explosion of everything that an 80s action movie could and should or maybe even shouldn't be in a lot of ways it i mean i guess it's accurate it doesn't it doesn't connect it's uh, definitely not a, a thought piece, and some of the chaining is definitely dis- you know um, designed to uh, to just trigger that uh, sort of nostalgia. So I mean, I, I think there's some pretty valid criticisms of of Kung Fury, but it's really hard for me to listen to the part of my brain that's trying to analyze this as cinema because the other part of my brain is just so excited about Triceracop <laughs> being the uh, you know the loyal new partner who. Who comes through in the end uh, there's just there's so much going on it really allowed me to turn off the part of my brain that uh, is more critical of of things these days yeah. um, the part of me that looks for organic foods for my family and uh, <laughs> and whatnot can definitely take a holiday when i'm watching uh, kung fury yeah it's not afraid to be absurd and to be absurd for the sake of like look at this crazy thing we came up with like you mentioned triceracop <laughs> or after uh, after Kung Fury is imbued, as they say in the description, imbued with the powers of a ninja, like, and then I got struck by lightning <laughs> and bitten by a cobra. <laughs> you don't need that. I saw and visions what... of a Shaolin temple. <laughs> yeah, it's just going that extra level of struck by lightning and bitten by a cobra at the same time. And there's no co. It's so good. And they know how to make an exit. If, if I guess if I can say that, I think maybe if I had to watch a full length cinema feature um with with sort of this level of um you know you know story plot scripting uh i'd probably have a different feel after about uh an hour and 45 minutes of it but at 30 odd minutes it ends on a high note it gets out before it gets tedious uh at least for me i'm still sort of cheering at the end of that movie and i'm not like well i'm gonna get some popcorn or figure out something else so so maybe that's it maybe it wouldn't stand up as a as a full-length feature film although i i read there are um david sandberg's in talks i think well originally had you did you see this trailer when it was just a trailer i did not i only saw it when it showed up on canadian netflix oh okay because it was recommended for me sure well naturally the machine learning it's got my number (laughs) most of the time because i I remember seeing this trailer on youtube i think i found it on on reddit or something like that and just showing it to everybody and finding out that there was this Kickstarter campaign and it was going to be released in some way, shape, or form and following the Kickstarter as, as it was going. And obviously they, they hit their target for making a short film. Um, they ended up raising $630,000, which fell short of their $1 wow. million dollar target, which would have led to a feature film. Mm-hmm. 
And I was relieved by that because you're right that I don't think the momentum of the like the joke mm-hmm. could keep going for that long. And what it reminded me of quite a bit, especially with Triceracop, is are you a fan of Danger 5? Have you seen that show? I've only seen uh, bits and pieces, but no, not a, I haven't done a thorough watch. Right. And I started to watch it and then I stopped watching it because I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you can only <laughs> listen to the same joke so many times. So I thought that having it a short film for Kung Fury was perfect. Yeah. So I'm kind of nervous about, because I know that if a feature film comes out, I know that I will watch it. Mm-hmm. And I am predicting that I'm not going to enjoy it as much as the short. And I'll kind of become nostalgic for this piece of nostalgia. It's tough to say. I mean, on one hand, I'd definitely shut up and take my money. Um, I would go <laughs> see it. I would have to. There's no alternative. Uh, but it's, yeah, it would be tough to predict if I would enjoy it. Uh, there's a lot of movies that I see these days where I begrudgingly give them the money in about half the time. <laughs> sort of wish I hadn't, but I don't know. Cautiously optimistic. Do you mind if I, I, I know it's a rude question to ask. So like how, how old were you in the eighties? Like how much is this a, a question of this movie being for you? Mm-hmm. Or is this movie kind of not to, not to speak too much about another conversation, but what, what Mike posited when we were talking about uh, beyond the black rainbow again, is that a lot of this current trend towards nostalgia is actually aimed a little bit before people remember. Absolutely. Because you're they're actually playing on the idea of something that the only feeling that you have for that is nostalgia and you didn't even actually experience it yourself, but you kind of trick yourself into thinking that, oh yeah, like that was so cool because all you remember is the bits and pieces. So when those bits and pieces get like thrown back at you, it feels nostalgic without you actually being all that familiar with Absolutely. the source material. No, that checks out entirely. So I was born in 1983, so... Uh, my analysis of world issues and media and culture in, you know, 1985 Miami, where this movie takes place, is uh, non-existent, to say the least. <laughs> you know, by the end of the 80s, uh, I have uh, quite a few memories. But again, yeah, I, th- I think uh, that that does check out. Part of nostalgia, I think, is for the things you maybe perceived that you, I guess, missed out on, you know, due to being in the wrong place in the wrong time. I mentioned I was I was born too late to be sort of an elite uh, 1980s computer hacker. And it was a really weird uh, sort of time to be born because there was sort of this strange um, uh, gap. There was the time when all of the gray beards like uh, brought the computer to the home. And then there was about 20 years later when it actually sort of happened and the computer became, you know, an appliance and the internet, I guess, happened. I should say the computer was an appliance before the internet, but you know, it was the uh, early to mid-90s before uh, computers, I think, really had the sort of place in our lives that they have now, to a lesser extent, obviously. Cell phones, crazy. But um, I do feel like in some cases I missed out on some parts of the 80s uh, that I would have really enjoyed being a part of. Um, in my day job today, I do a lot of low-level computer programming with really crummy computers because now computers from the 1980s come on a single chip and they're incredibly cheap and everything has to be on the internet and have a computer in it. Um, so I program, you know, thousands of these. And so having missed out on it the first time, I think spurred my interest in it. And I think it's easy to see that sort of thing translate to the movie realm because definitely I was kicked out of the room when Lethal Weapon, you know, two came on, uh, it was time for bed. And, uh, I think I got to see Beverly Hills Cop finally when I was about 10, uh, which was pretty exciting. So yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it is. I've never done a thorough analysis of, of nostalgia, but most of the things I'm nostalgic for, I would have to say, were probably better described as from my parents' generation. 
I'm not really at all nostalgic about anything from the the 90s and very little about, I guess, my, I don't know, high school experience I'm nostalgic about. The the movie parts didn't really speak to me personally. I'm, I'm a little bit behind you, born in 87. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my whole concept of 80s movies is pretty much entirely informed by stereotypes mm-hmm. now. But the ones that did speak to me, because I've had a, a computer and my, my father's also a computer programmer, and he... Like, we've always had a computer in the house from mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember. So just all the interactions with the computers in the movie and all the little, like, game references mm-hmm. and things like that were so so heartwarming and so comforting. Like, the the little sprite of Kung Fury as he's hacking through time. Yeah. <laughs> when he, he, or, like, the interface of when Hackerman is doing his hacking and it looks like something fresh out of like first gen where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Exactly. Yeah. I had like, that same thought. So pitch perfect. And especially uh, towards the end when Kung Fury is fighting all the Nazis and it's just, they somehow made this 3d world into a side scrolling fighting game mm-hmm. where he's doing like the Liu Kang kicks and, and everything. It was just, it keep, keeps hitting you with, you know, these, these little, these little hints. And I'm sure that there are, tons of things that I miss, tons of references that are in there that I just, I don't, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the specific, you know, texts that, mm-hmm. that they're referencing, but it still was super heartwarming for me, even though, as I've talked about on previous episodes, like I never actually played Mortal Kombat growing up, but mm-hmm. still that can, you know, as we just talked about, that can evoke these feelings. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, you remember this thing that I am vaguely aware of. <laughs> well, it really, I don't know, maybe sort of validates our experience such as, as as it is. I mean, it's sort of a secondhand maybe experience, but I don't know. There's a whole lot of, uh, you know, life growing up where, I don't know, kids aren't expected to, to know much or, or do much and just sort of um, poking the parts of the brain, the reward centers for, you know, being a, you know, a clever boy or a clever girl and remembering that thing or I don't know. The closest video game reference I got, and I don't know if it was even a reference, is the Carmen Sandiego, you know, game was strong on like the the Sinclair Spectrum or whatever it was. But um, the actual moving 3D world when he was uh, flying through and it was sort of a, a vector map, you know, green plane that was going at high speed on the main computer monitor was this game, 3D World Runner, which was actually a Nintendo, uh, an NES uh, game that used that silly pad. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you'd seen, but they had a, like a yoga mat that you'd plug into your Nintendo entertainment system. And it had a couple of squares on it. And uh, basically you would, you would run up and down on these little squares and then you would jump to jump over these chasms. And I spent an awful lot of time playing, which playing this game, which is just terrible gameplay. There's no plot. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you're, you're, you're basically, I guess, convincing, you know, lazy, early 90s kids to like run and jump in inside the house because they can't be bothered to leave it's like a precursor to wii sports yeah i like that yeah i never heard of it i didn't realize that there was that kind of like crazy peripheral stuff oh when they they featured the power glove in the the movie as well i didn't own a power glove that was uh too expensive i didn't own the mat either the kid down the block had a mat and so i basically would ring his doorbell over and over again (laughs) until we could play this horrible game i mean the storyboard would be like two panels long like intro screen run up and down on the mat you know the end end of game but uh boy it seemed magic magical at the time this movie is very successful at a lot of the things it's trying to do the one that i haven't made up my mind yet about is the and this may sound like i'm an awful person but i feel like there is some comedy there from this being an international movie that's done in english by non-native english speakers Mm -hmm. 
like the dubbing and the dialogue like you're not sure like are they in on the joke or is it like a bunch of swedish guys trying to make a movie and it has to be in english so they can distribute it you know as as widely and accessibly as possible the the one that kills me probably the biggest laugh for the entire movie is after kung fury crushes the two mustache guys the guys who are arguing mm-hmm. about their mustache after he crushes <laughs> them with the tank and then yeah. he like struggles through the pun that tank you <laughs> and it kills me mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's on purpose yeah. but i love it so Struggling so very much the language or the pun or both but yeah yeah definitely a hard laugh at tank you <laughs> Something I read afterwards um, that I kind of loved that makes me think that they're probably in on the joke and that it's okay to laugh at it and I'm not just being rude um, is the fact that the the two Nazis who are arguing about their mustache, apparently they are, like, I can't tell, not speaking either of these languages, but apparently they're, like, really awfully kind of switching between Swedish and bad German (laughs) and just not holding together a cohesive conversation Mm -hmm. because I mean the joke is really told through the subtitles right like Mm -hmm. that's the whole bit but but then for it to end in thank you is uh is definitely a highlight moment of the film for me I don't know I mean that scene does go on I mean it doesn't go on because it's a 30 minute you know short feature but uh the scene where they're they're discussing the mustaches is probably about three minutes of a 30 minute film I think it's the longest, like, pure dialogue yeah, where nobody's, scene in the movie. You know, spewing blood from an orifice. That's right. got to be the longest three minutes there. And um, I don't know, maybe a bit of a gamble. I mean, the tank you line, I mean, really lands well. <laughs> but boy, I guess if they were just a little bit off on the on the delivery, that would have been a really strange uh, scene to put into a movie. Yeah. And it, it even still is strange, even yeah. with that punchline <laughs> at the end, or a literal punchline at the end. <laughs> Um, the other thing I, I loved so, so very much is just the spectacle of it and just being willing to, you know, I kind of made reference already that this is a kid putting together the movie that they've imagined in their minds, tucked up under the sheets, having to listen to Lethal Weapon 2, mm-hmm. but not being able to uh, to watch it themselves. Like the riding in on top of the car and shooting everything or like kick flipping the police car with the skateboard. <laughs> but the... <laughs> Yeah. Just the the hugest moment for me was when the uh, the giant iron eagle comes to life and starts fighting the Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> and it's like, this is fulfilling something for me that I didn't know that I needed in my life. But it's so incredible <laughs> that someone was just like, and we're going to do it. We're going to have a giant metal bird, which, I mean, for me, it also had this extra layer of reminding me of Bioshock Infinite. Hmm. I know you don't play modern games but played a bit of the first one ah well basically there's this giant bird that is protecting this girl and this giant like 60 foot bird so that was very evocative of of that incredible game for me uh but yeah like fighting a t-rex like what what else do you need that is straight out of a child's like sketching of (laughs) you know like you're you might get called in to talk to the teacher because like he's drawing a lot of really violent images here yeah, his homework is just page after page of laser raptors. Or maybe it's just closure. Finally, finally we have closure on World War II. Um, but we don't. Do we? Because dun-dun-dun, you know, he's still there at the end in utter defiance of all things related to time. Well, And I was educated in mostly public schools in the U.S., so I'm going to be honest with you. My history courses never really made it up to World War II. They were kind of like... Uh, Civil War, American Revolution, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Welcome to your diploma. So, really? I mean, 
Yeah, we really never. I took a world uh, history course, and then they they did the the Europe thing, and it was all of the um, the English wars, and I think we got up through Napoleon before they sort of gave up on us, and we just moved along again. So yeah, all of my history courses were, were just a really U.S. centric. Um, so I mean, if I were uh, not an inquisitive youth, I might not have known how World War II ended, and really? this would have answered a lot of questions for me. Of course, they didn't talk about how it ended. I mean, that's a bit of a that's a bit of an F up, you know, Hitler got away on a flying golden 60 <laughs> right. foot eagle. Is the eagle there? Mascot? I, I think there's actually like a very specific name for the, uh, hold on, Nazi golden eagle. Reichst birdie. Uh, it's not far off. Uh, Reichsadler. Hmm. Uh, usually translated as imperial eagle from German Reich, meaning realm, and Adler, meaning eagle. Now Germany can never have another pretty eagle. Although if you wait long enough, it can be reused in the U.S. Uh, famously, in the early 2000s, the Air Force in the U.S. Uh, changed from um, aim high, Air Force was their motto. They changed uh, to above all. I, get, I, I kid you not, for about a year, the United States Air Force motto was above all, which obviously is uber alles, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. if Somebody in the PR department finally got the joke, and they've... They've switched it to whatever the recruitment strategy is now, but um, maybe they went to the same schools as me, uh, so a lot of those <laughs> things don't hit. Oh, Target sold the SS shirt uh, famously again uh, about a decade later. Yeah, there's a skull that apparently is. Um, it was used on the uniforms of the, the the real, you know, dirty work guys of of the Reich, and they were selling it in like the um, the edgy t shirt section of the the Target retailer in the U.S. And so these poor victims of, of the Holocaust would see these like teenagers on their skateboards with uh, death's head. I don't remember what it is in German, but it was uh, just totally outrageous. I believe it was Target retailer. Uh, it may have been um, Urban Outpost. They like to... It's the worst kind of uh, cultural appropriation, I suppose. No, that's a... Uh, that'd be horrible. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. One thing I was just thinking of is, can they... So the, the recent re-release of Ghostbusters has me thinking, could they make a full-length feature that's true to the 1980s cop movie, which is sexist, misogynist, probably racist. There's a lot of stuff going on in these cop films that um, was okay in the 80s, mm -hmm. but uh, obviously wouldn't hit today. And I haven't seen the new Ghostbusters film, but it's sort of all over the internet that... Um, you know, that the that the black Ghostbuster is the only one without like a PhD and she's a mm -hmm. transit worker. And, and obviously I think that's meant to be, um, you know, from the first Ghostbusters franchise, you know, the African-American in the, in the eighties was also the, not the, mm -hmm. um, the shamed college professor. He was, uh, what was it? I can't recall now, but he was the least educated of them. But there's these decisions you can't make in terms of casting and in terms of, I mean, the stereotypes that I think probably make the 1980s movie that I don't think you could make those in a big studio with a real budget if you wanted any kind of distribution. I'm not sure that's a bad thing either, mind you. That's just a, a thought I had. Yeah. I mean, maybe those days are gone. Yeah, I feel a bit better about it knowing that Paul Feig, I think is how you pronounce it, that apparently he originally wrote that character from Melissa McCarthy. Mm. But then once they got the cast together, things got moved around. And the fact that Leslie Jones herself has kind of said, like, listen, guys, like, relax. And I'm like, okay, if you're not mad, then mm -hmm. all right, I'll right, let's, let's watch and see how this movie turns out. But I'm super excited about it. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's tough to know what to do because there was one part of Kung Fury that I didn't love, and that was in the uh, when Kung Fury is going to talk to his sergeant or sergeant, whatever. Yeah, and he drops the drops the f bomb, being all like silly and homophobic and stuff. And I was like, dude, like mm-hmm. you you can you're obviously picking and choosing the '80s tropes that you like mm-hmm. and that you don't. Like you can, it is okay to omit that kind of thing, but then it's also I don't know what the answer is. I think that I would certainly lean towards, like, you, d- you don't want to forget the past by pretending it never happened, mm-hmm. but you also don't need in a 30-minute short comedy where you're not making a whole lot of statements about anything, where you're just yeah. playing with toys and having fun, you maybe don't need to carry over the homophobic language. Yeah, definitely. It de- I mean, it, it, to me, it seemed entirely out of place. And at the time, I, at the time, obviously it was made in 2015, but in 1985, I guess it, I mean, it's... It would have been true, but yeah, there's no political statement to be had there. It wasn't Ronnie Reagan, you know, dropping that at a White House press briefing or, or anything? It was, uh, yeah, and it really did. It really did stand out. Um, and I don't think it's just you and I that are starting to notice these things. So yeah, maybe we don't ever get another authentic '90s or '80s, I should say, uh, cop film. But maybe that's also okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't think that this movie is at any point claiming to be authentic oh, no. because it's it's a riff, right? Like, it's taking its favorite parts, it's ramping them up to eleven, mm-hmm. it's going beyond anything that could have been done before, but it's it's playing in that same toy box. Or authentic, definitely the wrong choice of word there. Uh, yeah, uh, not authentic, but um, yeah, period appropriate. Uh, when I was thinking of authenticity, uh, and I believe uh, Top Gun was a '90s movie. But I think I played Top Gun on my VHS player so much that all of the awesome, you know, like plane battle scenes were just totally torn up. <laughs> and so the tracking was just magnificent. So the, the, the VCR, the, the faux VCR on the Netflix uh, goes mental and tries to auto track this yes. uh, clearly destroyed tape. Uh, I did some reading and I found out they actually swapped out an actress. And so that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. uh, that they just do this tracking gaff. So they can sort of get rid of um, an actress that didn't end up being in the final product. And then also it gets used in the uh, in the fight with the arcade machine. Of course. Where it's, it's so blatant that you're mm-hmm. kind of like, it invites you in on the joke. They're like, obviously we can't show you this whole fight. So we're just going to... And now he's like punching the robot in space. And you're like... Time to die. Uh, yeah. But it's... It, again, that rings true because I would fast forward like i i didn't at the time understand why i would need to listen to like berlin and watch tom cruise make out with um oh lord what's her name oh it's gonna haunt me till the end of time uh charlotte charlie blackwood played by kelly mcgillis kelly mcgillis gosh yeah wow but um but yeah i fast forwarded through all of that mostly because i was more about the planes and the pew pew and so the parts that had the worst damage, I mean, right when the fight scene came on is when my VCR went nuts and I had to squint at the screen and try to figure <laughs> out what was going on. And um, so, yeah, that really rang true. And I'm, I'm not sad, but I am sad that, yeah, my daughter's never going to understand anything but just magnificent 4 or 16K video without, oh, I guess maybe streaming. She'll have to buffer. Yeah. That'll, That'll be her, her yeah, generation's cross Yeah, 20 years from now, somebody's going to make a, you know, like a, a Grindhouse-style movie about streaming things on the internet, and it's <laughs> going to be pre-buffering, you know, before you stuck, like, a USB right into your brain or whatever <laughs> the technology is going to be. Facebook 17. Yeah, it was, yeah it, it, you know, it, it's not dissimilar from what Grindhouse does mm-hmm. with, you know, like, burning through the film and things like that, yeah. but it's just, it's 
updated for, I mean, Robert Rodriguez watched a lot of things on film and is very, very aware of the tactile experience of that. And then this is a movie for a VHS generation that remembers what it's like to have, you know, like a line through your tape because you just watched the Lion King too many times or watching your, you know, the, just the, the quality of your film degrade in yeah. front of you and not be able to watch certain parts anymore. And halfway through your ABC afternoon special, it cut to the parts of your parents' wedding that you taped over. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> that's honestly one of my favorite things about watching old movies that we taped off, like, Wonderful World of Disney or whatever, is remembering, like, old Chef Boyardee cartoons. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's these very distinct memories where if I think about Mary Poppins, there's this picture in my head of butter melting on corn. And I don't know... <laughs> what that ad i mean not the ad was probably for mm-hmm. corn but you know it's just it's so in there because it was just a thing that you could do you could take things off the internet that's something your daughter's going to be missing out on mm. is you know not being able to not having commercial interruptions for things that she's copied illegally she's just going to be able to torrent everything and well even now we don't have cable and she doesn't understand she gets irate if we're at a <laughs> hotel or something and we're watching the actual television she's just like dad turn it off like why did you turn off my wonderful show? What is this garbage? Uh, and just the look. I need to buy all these things. What do I it's, do? It's 30% anger and 70% just, it doesn't even connect in her brain that you'd have to be subjected to a series of marketing pitches in between <laughs> your, your cartoon. That's, that's madness, father, madness. But that's good, I guess. Maybe that is good. I know I bought an awful lot of garbage or persuaded my parents to... So the way that I always like to wrap these up is uh, since we watch this on Netflix, I want to know what star rating this got on your Netflix profile. So uh, one star means you hated it. Two stars didn't like it. Three stars liked it. Four stars means really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. And then uh, as well, I'd, I want to know if there's an MVP or a standout uh, person or aspect to this movie that, that makes it shine even brighter for you. So uh, rating and MVP. So rating is five star, and uh, there's science behind this, friends. Science. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, the number of times I watch it, generally. Um, I mean, obviously, it's hard to do that in advance. I don't always rate immediately. Um, but I've watched it, Kung Fury, more than five times since I saw it appear in my algorithmically generated you know, top picks list. Um, and yeah, every time I get a little something more out of it, I mean, it. Um, in the end, perhaps it hasn't changed my life. I'm an adult. I think adult thoughts, <laughs> analyze stuff and whatnot. Um, but honestly, I do keep coming back to it uh, the way I really only do to things that I, I don't know, I, I really do enjoy. So it's uh, it's definitely a five stars for me. And as for a character, I think we discussed my profuse love for Hacker Man before. I just, someday when I still grow up, which hopefully will be soon, I still, <laughs> I kind of want to be Hacker Man, you know, keeper of the, the Gnostic time-hacking knowledge, defender of Kung Fury. I love it. For me, the the star rating keeps kind of like flipping back and forth because it's it's a thing where like when I go to say it publicly, I want to say four because it seems silly to say five because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a serious film critic and everything. (laughs) But I mean, damn it, it's my Netflix profile and I loved watching this movie. So I'm I'm happy to give it a five star in my own profile. Um, For the MVP, uh, I've kind of got two because David Sandberg is really like the force behind the Fury. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a project that he created. And I mean, not to discredit anybody else who worked on it, but there's something kind of special when you see just kind of a person have an idea and see it through to the end and to 
be the star of it and not worry about how silly he sounds and to do the martial arts aspects of it or at the very least to be able to put the film together in a way that makes him look like a pretty legitimate martial artist but i also do want to give very special mention to david hasselhoff yes because true survivor the song that plays in the end credits is not only pitch perfect it's an incredible get for this movie i mean david hasselhoff's now doing like the sharknados and everything and just kind of mm. just he's really owning the camp of david hasselhoff mm-hmm. he's just going with it which i mean good for you but it's also like an independent crowdfunded swedish action homage to 80s action movies got david hasselhoff yeah and that's that's pretty cool maybe this is the hyper optimistic computers can solve all the problems world that we live in now maybe it's better now than in the 80s if you can crowd fund david hasselhoff what can't you do <laughs> so sean i really appreciate you coming on and doing this is there uh, anything going on that you'd like the world to know about uh, yeah, I volunteer for an organization called uh, UnLondon, and they're a science, technology, engineering, mathematics sort of education um, nonprofit in the London, Ontario area. And uh, it's March break here, so we're running a number of uh, courses designed to uh, get children interested in programming. Um, so those are at the uh, London Public Libraries all this week. But in a general sense, we run a lot of classes for, for kids and adults and parents with their kids to, to do a lot of different programming things and building robots and basic electronics um, and really just having a lot of fun and uh, maybe just trying to be a little bit more like Hacker Man in, uh, in real life. So there's a lot of opportunities um, in town with uh, UnLondon, unlondon.ca. And if you have any interest in science, technology, engineering, or uh, just a nice place to work, a co-working environment, um, I would encourage you to look into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing but great things to say about uh, on London and the the space that they have here at 121 Studios. It's really a terrific organization to be a part of. That's great. Thank you so much, Sean. No, I, thank you I for having me. Having a reason to to talk about this this movie again, uh, an excuse to watch this movie, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to start like a little Twitter conversation between you and Mike about whether or not we we adequately came to the defense of Kung Fury. Definitely, and maybe we'll have a. A 10-year reunion and see how this stacks up. <laughs> or maybe, maybe our kids will. Uh, that's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out all the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you want to see what we're doing for upcoming episodes, you can check out my Letterboxd account. I'm there as Dylan Clark Moore as well. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign, whether it's for the rewards like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you just want to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now is off a brand new album from record label A Person Disguised as People called Odiyama from the artist known as Chinoski. Uh, this piece is called On Losing, and this is the one that I picked off the album because it's kind of slow-paced, but it's got a video gamey sort of vibe to it, so I felt like that was pretty appropriate. 
Uh, thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. Bye.